0: Hey, i'm jim mcginnis and this is stories we can tell and i am so glad you found me reflections on history literature and music stories about individual journeys struggles and victories they come in the form of essays and narratives and journal entries and readings from my favorite writers as i've said many times before I've spent much of my life studying history, teaching history, and, in essence, living history, rowing that boat, as they say, moving forward while looking backwards. And perhaps without intent, I have been blessed to match, as Frost said, my vocation with my avocation. So how could teaching not be part of the discussion? How could the classroom not be a major setting? It's more than that, of course, but certainly not less. Hemingway insisted that truth is manifested in fiction as well as fact. A figurative expression can be as powerful as a literal one. That said, I sometimes choose to use fictional characters to tell my story. There's a guy you're gonna meet sooner or later, Quinn, Francis Quinn. He happens to be the main character in my book and he's a composite of several heroes of mine glued together by my own conscience and ego. He'll make timely visits here, mostly when I can't conjure up the audacity to say what needs to be said. The teacher in me loves a narrative, a story. Shelby Foote believed that history is best told that way so the reader can discover the plots on his own. Well, I'm still working on my plot, After all these years, I'm still trying to find my way, but that's all right, that's okay. I think I said once that the journey is the story and the story is the trip. If I didn't, I wish I had Journal entry, January 9, 51 degrees, partly cloudy, winds out of the northwest at 10. Quote of the day, I have loved the stars too fondly to be fearful of the night. Galileo, 7.15 a.m., beautiful morning, a bit cool for the porch, but a hoodie did the trick north wind brings the sound of the train loud and clear. I've been up several times during the night, twice I heard the train horn and it took me back to the first night in this house. After seven years in suburban exile, we had finally made it back home to Melbourne proper, no more outskirts for us. We found an old house right in the middle of town, nestled amongst the oaks and sable palms. The long day of moving boxes and furniture was over and we had collapsed for the night. In our splendid exhaustion, we heard the horn. My wife turned and kissed me and whispered the train. Had another bonfire last night, just me and the dogs this time. Good fire. mix of Carolina oak and some hurricane trimmings from October. Smoke smelled sweet. Not sure that what was in there that was burning sweet, but the music was good, the band and Little Feet. Last night's dream was a vivid one, let me tell you. I was lying on the floor of my classroom, staring upward while a guitar played. It was Dylan again, that song about Billy the Kid, one eye open when you slumber. I must have listened to that soundtrack too damn much, it got in my head. A boy in my seventh-period class, who can't stay awake, knelt down beside me. Somehow two coral snakes were in the room, and I suspect they were the cause of my demise. Billy, they don't like you to be so free. I woke up with all the lights on, relieved, saddlebags spread across my chest, a collection of columns and stories by Shelby Struther the late sports writer of the Detroit News. Shelby was a long way away from home in Detroit but like me he was a satellite beach boy. His skills though as a writer took him far and wide while mine just kept me close to home. Nevertheless he kept his ties with Florida. From where the book was open I figured that when I conked out I was about halfway through the rereading of one of my favorite stories, an interview with Honest John Smith, the legendary homesteader, fisherman, bootlegger, and storyteller of Floridana Beach. I see no connection between Shelby's story and the old strange dream. Maybe it was the jambalaya and Guinness I had for dinner. My mother had always warned me about spicy food and bad dreams. It was around four o'clock when I woke up from the dream, thankfully. And I saw that I had another hour of sleep, so I folded the corner of the page and placed the book on the table beside the bed, turned off the lights and crashed between the dogs. Said a prayer, please, no more snakes. 8.30 p.m., After breakfast this morning, we drove down south to the old graveyard to see my grandfather. The dog stayed quiet as I walked over from the truck to the old man's stone. Passed by a grave of a student. She had been shot by a crazed boyfriend as she sat in her car. I glanced down at her name and tried to keep on walking, but I could not. Her name was Monica, and I remembered her face as if it were yesterday. She had a great smile and greeted me with it each day as she walked in. I began to cry as I cleaned the sand from her stone. I do not understand these things. Couldn't muster a prayer, but then I remembered a nun telling me once that crying was a form of praying. Made my way over to my grandfather's grave on the far side of the field beneath the scrub oak. Sullivan J. Ballard, 1899 to 1978. Sullivan Ballard was buried there alone. Hell, I don't even remember where my grandmother's buried. They had been divorced since before I was born. She could not abide his whimsical ways and casual relationship with work. Nah, it wasn't that Gramps was lazy. It wasn't that he didn't provide for his family, he did that but a career never interested him. He was not afflicted by ambition. He had no desire to climb the ladder. The man was an engineer, inventor, and artist, but the depression had done something to him. I suspect World War I hadn't helped. After all that, his life was consumed with art and music and books, and of course, he was idolized by his grandson. It had been a long time since I had been at the old man's grave. By the look at things, it had been a long time since anyone was there. I told him I was sorry for that. I told him I might be moving on soon, but I wanted to thank him before I left. I swung by the bank on the way home and the dogs barked the whole time we were in the drive-through. They know the teller has treats and they climbed all over me trying to get through them. This morning on the porch I caught myself lamenting the fact that both dogs were showing signs of age, and I thought about how quickly the human notion of time passes through a dog's life. But almost on cue, Brown Dog rose and walked slowly over to the chair. I rubbed his chin and neck and he sighed with satisfaction. I could see in his eyes an understanding of time that I myself cannot grasp, it is perhaps what John Muir would call a practical form of immortality. Well, that's all for now. Thanks for listening. Until next time, this is Stories We Can Tell, and I'm Jim McGinnis, wishing you fair winds. Oh, mm-hmm.